Dean's sermon last week was on baptism. And uh, I thought, hey, well, let's follow up with one on education because let's just poke some eyes. Why not? <laughs> so I realized this morning that uh, the, one sermon on Christian education was a really um, arrogant thing to attempt to pull off. So in, for every one thing I put in here, there's probably 10 other things I took out. Uh, I think I have actually, I wrote 20,000 words in preparation for this. Um, don't worry, I only have 5,000 of them here. <laughs> so I, I just want to say this. If, if, if there is anything said that you would like expansion on, clarification on, if you want to push back on, if it's confusing, you don't see how it fits, uh, there is a, I'm, I'm looking at my watch, I will be looking at my watch. I, I, this is a subject, especially too, on top of it, that I care a great deal about. I, I was a teacher for two years at a Christian classical school, uh, and, and I, I did not leave it because I hate teaching. I did not leave it because I hate classical education. So this is a subject I care a lot about. And I just want to point out, just as Dean said last week about baptism, the, the method of Christian education employed for our children, your children, is not a measure of unity and fellowship. I, I have literally been asked if you're allowed to put your kids in public school if you attend this church. Um, which, which <laughs> is the wrong question. Of course you're allowed. You are the head of your home. Uh, those are your children. You do uh, what you see uh, is fit for them. Okay, so this is not an area that we define who can be a member of this church and who can't. I want to be very clear about that. But this church does have a position on Christian education. Uh, one of the confusing um, things I didn't really know to include or not is we, we do have an official position. We are a member church of the CREC, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. And they have a thing called the Book of Memorials. And in the Book of Memorials, they include things that um, are not included in the confessions of faith that we have. And so ministers have gotten together and they've written statements. And you, as a minister in the CRC, either uh, adhere to those or you don't. If you have exceptions, you literally have to list those exceptions with your presbytery. Um, and so if you go to the Book of Memorials, there is a memorial on Christian education. Uh, that is not the authority for me on teaching on this subject. I just want to point out that, there, that if you want to know our position on education in a concise form, um, that's it, the Book of Memorials. So with all of that, with all those qualifications, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that you uh, are always bringing us to school, that you are always educating your children. Uh, that you are raising us in the fear and admonition of yourself. We pray, Father, that as we open your word today, as we hear things, as we interact that with your word, that we would be changed in our hearts and our minds, that we would become more Christ-like, that we would desire Christ more, that we would love him more, that we would serve him more obediently, and that we would proclaim him more clearly. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Now, how many of you are educating your children? Raise your hands. Okay, raise them higher. Come on, people. How many of you have educated children? You have children you've raised with edu in education. Okay, now how many of you received an education? Okay, well, good. I was a little worried. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so education has a lot to do, uh, we've all experienced it in some form. We've received it, uh, we've administered it, we've overseen it in others, and we are overseeing it in others still. So if your children are grown or you don't have children, at this point you are not free to go from the sermon. This sermon is for you too. Now, what is your responsibility in everything I'm going to say? Because I'm going to address the sermon primarily to parents with children who they are educating. 
So, Laura, don't check out. Ann Johnson, don't check out. Covey, you still have to listen. Okay? Yeah, yeah surely, surely, surely. The Padea of the Lord is what I'm going to be talking about. And for all Christians, all Christians should be operating in this Padea. It's, it's not merely something um, for children and then you move on to it. Educating children and educating adults, there's no difference between the two things. Um, education is education. And, and that's going to be part of my point. Uh, it, there, is, there is a secular education, and I, I, I'm, I even hesitate to call it that because it's not really education. We're, we're going to look into the scriptures, and we're going to look at what's required of all of us. Now, there is a specific responsibility that each of us have individually when it comes to the Padea of God, and that is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge, gaining knowledge, is something that is ongoing for all of us, and it's moral. It's moral. There, there is no neutrality. There is no immor- amoral ed- knowledge. There's nothing about knowledge that is amoral. It is always moral. And all of us have a responsibility to increase in this knowledge and, not, and, and add to it virtues, self-control, walking with the Lord our God. Not, not only that, husbands have an obligation for overseeing the maturation of, of the patea of the Lord in their wives. As we read in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So as the Lord our God washes us, the church, with the word, we husbands wash our wives with the word overseeing the padea of our wives, making sure that they are being instructed in this, is our responsibility. It is. So every individual has a responsibility. Every husband has a responsibility. And as we're going to go on to see, every parent has a responsibility. Padea is not something that you receive when you are young and then it ends. A padea is not limited to a formal education. It is much bigger and broader, and it encompasses a great deal more than knowledge in a specific and limited subject. As I specifically address the raising of children in the Padea of the Lord, I want all all of you to consider replacing the word child (laughs) with self or child with wife. Okay, If that helps you during the sermon, please do it. Because if, if you're a husband and a father, you have a triple responsibility. You have to look out for yourself, your wife, and your children. Now, if you this this is what I this is why we need to cover this subject. If we don't go, if we go too long without talking about this, we drift. It is a weighty thing to be married. It is a weighty thing to have children. And and what is the point? Where is it going? Where what you know? What is God expecting out of it? That's what this sermon is largely about. Okay, this is what education is. It's not learning calculus. That is not an education. Learning Latin is not an education. Okay, walking with the Lord faithfully is an education. 
We are commanded to raise our children in a particular way, to equip them to engage culture in a God-honoring way. It's not about mere head knowledge. It's about the whole man. You've heard Dean and I say this a lot. It's not about simply knowing things. It's about believing them with your heart and doing them with your hands. Okay? And that's what an education is. Stuffing your kids' heads with knowledge, it, it does not an education make. And so to begin to understand this, what we have to understand is this word I keep using, padea. What is it? What is the padea of the Lord? Ephesians 6.4. That is the text we're going to be talking about the most today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This is what it says. Father, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, right out of the gate, what do we see? The command is for fathers, not governments, not churches, not even mothers. It doesn't say parents, it says fathers. The responsibility for a child's education is their father's. So taking an unengaged and hands-off approach is disobedience to the word of God. Right? I, I mean, everyone loves the yellow school bus. It comes by, it picks them up, and you don't have to worry about it, right? You don't have to do anything. They come by and pick the kids up right from your house. The problem with that method is this, is it's an unengaged method. No matter what you choose as the educational model for your children, underlining everything is your engagement in it. If you're not directly engaged in the day-to-day, in the oversight of it, you're, you're not taking your responsibility. You're not obeying God in his word. Fathers, I'm speaking to you. Leaving the education of your children to others, acting as if it's someone else's responsibility is abdication. Being responsible isn't the same thing as doing it all yourselves. I know you all go out and work. I'm not saying that now you have to also teach little Johnny his multiplication tables. Now, whether mom is doing the day-to-day homeschooling or you drop little Johnny off at a school, it's dad's responsibility to oversee the education of their children. Now what we're going to do is double up. If the person who's doing the majority of it is your wife, you have then a responsibility to make sure the batea of the Lord is strong and, and faithful and full in her own life. You, right? Her walk matters a great deal if she's then instructing little Johnny on all the things she's instructing little Johnny on. And so, fathers, I ask you this. This is my questions. L- listen, this is, this is what I'm talking about. What curriculum are your children using? Is it the best one? How do you even make such a judgment? How do you know the difference between a good curriculum and a bad curriculum? What's the uh, criteria to make such a decision? What does your wife or the teacher need to succeed right now? What does the teacher of your child or your wife need to succeed in their task? What is the teaching philosophy that they are using? What is the method of discipline? It's crucial, right? If we're supposed to discipline our children, it's important to understand what kind of discipline is being used. What is the best teaching style, tactile, visual, verbal, best suited to your child? Now, there are learning styles, and there are different, very different ones. I have six kids, and you would think um, they would somehow be all the same because they're our kids, but they're not. Uh, one is very tactile, right? One is very verbal, and then the other one is tactile verbal. So <laughs> they have to touch things and speak about them at the same time, right? There's learning styles. What is the one your child is most suited towards? What is the best, best method to measure the progress of the education of your children? Engagement and oversight are required to obey this command. Now, ladies, take your elbow out of his side now. 
<laughs> I know, she's, he, he's got a buffer there. Good idea with the kid. <laughs> Notice I'm not making eye contact with my wife, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, well, I got to, so I will. <laughs> Ephesians 6.4, Father, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the, of the Lord. Now, we are not going to focus on the first word. We're going to focus on the second word that's translated as instruction. Discipline is for another sermon on another day. We're going to focus on this word instruction. The Greek word is pedeia. That's where I got this word from. The pedeia of the Lord. Raise your children in the pedeia of the Lord. Um, I, I prefer the Greek word because it's, it's a word that does not easily translate into English. The definition of pedeia from the concise Oxford English Dictionary says this, in ancient Greece, a system of broad cultural education or an education in the formal culture of a society. Hmm. An education in the formal, formal culture of a society. It's not just some subjects that they go and learn about. The pedeia is the all-encompassing enculturation that includes not just school, but the whole person's engagement with the whole culture. Pedeia is the preparation of a person to engage culture on every level. The idea of Padea was central to the ancient classical mind, and Paul's instruction here consequently has profound ramifications. He chose this word on purpose because he understood what it meant. It wasn't just renew your mind. It was renew the whole person. You're instructing the whole person how to go out and engage in culture. Education, as moderns think of it, sets subjects learned in progressive depth, history, math, reading, literature, is a subset of Padea. It's one small piece, but that's what we tend to call an education, isn't it? Okay, you go from fourth grade math to fifth grade math to sixth grade math, you're progressing in your education very well. But, but that's only a small part of it. That's a small part of it. The boundaries of Padea are much wider than the boundaries of what we understand as modern education. That is why education is something that is lifelong and is something that we are all required to engage in. We are all required to pursue the Padea of the Lord. It also means that fathers don't limit their oversight to mere formal education. Checking the box on school doesn't an education make. Far more is involved in this than taking the kids to church or having an occasional time of devotions in the home, as important as those things are. And more to the point, it's far, there's far more involved than simply providing the kids with a Christian curriculum from A to 3. Uh, I, I, I would love it if that was all, because then you just buy the stuff and you give it to your wife and you're like, done, check, right? It would be awesome if that was all it is. In my flesh, I think that would be great. I hear you. The padea is enculturation. It includes, not limited to this list, but just some of these things. The bestseller list, major newspapers, the most popular sitcoms, the songs on the radio, motion pictures, Netflix cues, the architectural layout of the suburban home. Why is it laid out the way that it's laid out? Morals, sports, pop culture, medicine, jurisprudence, that's the study of the law, and every other conceivable human endeavor. That's what's included in the Padea of the Lord. Everything. Now, you go back to my uh, sermons on work, and we realize that through the cultural mandate and through the Great Commission, God, under his cross, is reconciling everything to himself. That means everything comes under his lordship. 
And so I'm not saying here that you have to now teach your children about everything. What you have to teach them is the centrality of Christ to all things. And then they can go out and they engage in whatever they are engaging in, and they understand that the root of it, they understand the location that it is leading towards, what it needs to do is, be, is come under the cross of Christ and be reconciled in him. No matter what their profession, no matter what they're studying, everything has to do with Jesus. I don't want you to be confused and now think that you have to implement an 18-subject homeschool curriculum. Please don't do that. I'm a firm believer in this. People are overwhelmed very easily. This is one of those rabbit trails. I'm going to do it now because it seems good. You, your job is not competing with uh, the public school because the public school has before and after programs, 18 different sports, every different possible instrument. Right? You can do chess club and jazz club and AP classes in middle school. The job, your job as a homeschooler or, or a classical school or a Christian school is not to compete with that. If you teach them the, how to communicate in the English language and you teach them math, that is the basic level stuff. That's it. it. Because every other subject has to do with those two things. Okay, this is, we, 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 there's like this sleight of hand that happens where then, okay, we're going to take them out of the, of the public, the government schools because they're bad, and then what we're going to try to do is be the, the government schools. No, but teach them to read. Teach them grammar, teach them math, and, but, but underneath all of that, there's something even more important. Chuck all the other curriculum. The baseline curriculum is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is what Paul wants us to do. Raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, the padea of the Lord. Okay? <laughs> you go to a new job, they'll teach you how to do the new job. Right? What I find fascinating are the people with MBAs, master's in business degrees, and they cannot write an email to save their lives. You won't believe the emails I get from lawyers. And I think this guy's got three times as much education as, as I do, and maybe he'll pay me just to edit his emails for him. <laughs> right? All those degrees do not an education make. See, I'm, 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 what am I even doing? It's so easy on a rabbit trail here. Jesus is the point. Okay, I, I do not want you to leave here thinking you've got to now add like every conceivable subject. To back up for a moment, the reason that Paul understood this is because he knew the verses that were read for us earlier today from Deuteronomy. These are the commands of the Lord. Okay, and if you want an educated person, teach them to the, your child when you go out and when you come in, when you sit down and when you stand up. Write them on the walls of your house if you have to, because learning the word of God and obeying the word of God is the point. Right? You can always learn more about calculus. You can get a book from the library. Have Justin tutor you. You can always learn more about calculus. But when they're small and they're young and they're impressionable, what they need to learn is that everything has to do with Jesus Christ. You need to enculturate them and saturate them in the word of God. Parents are responsible before God to ensure that children grow up in an environment dominated by the word of God. This responsibility means, among other things, that our children are to grow up thinking about everything from a biblical standpoint and in contrast to unbiblical standpoints. Therefore, okay, now what we see is there's not a particular kind of education that's necessarily sinful. But there are kinds that make this more difficult. If little Johnny goes down to the government school, he's not exactly going to be saturated in the words of God. 
just this week they announced in California, you cannot, you cannot prevent your children from hearing this new sexual education program that they have. You can't pull them out. You can't excuse them. It, 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 it's, it's a law. If you try to take little Johnny out of the class where the, he hears all the nonsense about the gender stuff, it, you're breaking the law in California. Now, that, that, this opens up a lot of, a lot of questions here. If, if the point is, is total immersion in the word of God, then, then that limits the choices that we can make. But, but that also puts a huge burden on us. Uh, I'm a one-income home with six kids in Seattle. My goodness. Sometimes I think that alone is a joke that God is enjoying. <laughs> right? I, I, I mean, just, just take, I'll loan all my kids to you. Just go to Whole Foods and shop with all of them. It's amazing. Uh, the, just <laughs> the looks you get, the comments you get. Right? All you moms know what I'm talking about. The enculturation in the word of God is very difficult to do anyway. Putting them in an environment where it's never brought up, right, is, 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 is that's where you're getting into disobedience. Because think of the amount of work you have to do to overcompensate <laughs> for the eight hours they're in a government school. To Augustine, we're going to move on now. To Augustine, there could be no such thing as a purely secular search for truth. He wrote a book called On Christian Doctrine, which is a book that if you have the time, you should read it. This is what he said. If wisdom is God who made all things, then the philosopher is a lover of God. Now think about that for a moment. Think about that. If, if God is where truth begins and ends, right? That, that's what the philosopher ought to study. Sure, you can read Plato. But ultimately, what do you really need to learn about? Jesus. So if that's true of the philosopher, it's also true of the biologist, the pianist, the architect, the engineer, the clerk, the librarian, and the meteorologist. Think about this. We see that the scriptures necessitate a host of academic and aesthetic subjects. Romans 1, 19 through 21. If God is communicating himself to everyone through nature, then the study of nature is the study of what? A biologist is studying what exactly? Did you just answer that? Thank you. Amen. The study of biology is the study of what? There you go. If Jesus lived in the time of Augustus Caesar and Pontius Pilate, then the study of Jesus isn't merely theological but historical. Therefore, the study of history is ultimately about what? Now, why did he come in the Roman Empire and not the Ming Dynasty? There's actually a phenomenal... You can get into all kinds of phenomenal things just asking that question. Of all the different times, why the Roman Empire then? There. If the scriptures are written in Hebrew and Greek, but everyone is to be taught what they say, then the necessity of grammar and philology and literary criticism, interpretation and translation is the study of what? Art? Jesus said, this is my body and blood in reference to bread and wine, two substances that do not <laughs> occur naturally in the world. I, I wish I cannot go anywhere and just find wine sitting around. It requires a great deal of work. But he said, every time you get together, drink the wine and eat the bread. And so our worship requires chemistry. Okay? There's a lot of people who don't know much about chemistry and they make wine and the wine is horrible. 
<laughs> Stop putting those things together. Those grapes do not, do not go together. So worship requires chemistry. Think about that. It requires husbandry. So far that we've seen, we've seen that studying God includes biology, botany, entomology, geology, philology, archaeology, history, literary criticism, oneology, which is the study of how to make wine, culinary skills, and farming. Right? If you're going to have bread every week, you've got to have somebody right, growing the wheat. And there's a good way to do that, and there's a bad way to do that. The word of God necessitates an educated people in a great number of subjects, every subject, and so I am not advocating a dumbed-down fundamentalist education. That is not what I am at all articulating here. C.S. Lewis said that I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. He'd like to make the point that science, as, as a worldview, can't even fit science in <laughs> to its worldview. But, but Christianity fits everything in. Because what ultimately is everything about? It's about Jesus. Everything was made through him, and everything was made for him, and, and, and in him everything is sustained. What we need to do is to teach our children a grateful curiosity for the world in which they live. Uh, do, you, do you guys know who Jonathan Edwards is? The, the first book he ever wrote, it was a manuscript form, he couldn't get anyone to publish it, was about spiders. Because he, if, you, if you read about him, his depth, the depth of love that he had, the theology that he had, it began with walks that he took in nature. Because he, he was fascinated by bugs. Uh, I, 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 what, I, I can't kill bugs fast enough. I don't care about bugs. But it's fascinating to me that if you read the religious affections which he wrote, the, the, where it began was him out in a field somewhere praising the living God because of the spiders that he saw. It is more necessary and a higher calling than merely teaching our kids calculus and English grammar. Teaching a young mind or training our own minds to be thirsty for Christ is different than attempting to equip ourselves or our children with artificial, state-determined academic goals. Because, right, am I keeping up with the public school is, is, is something that I hear all the time from, from people who are training their children at home. Now, I have other questions. It, it, right now, how many of us, including our children, know where the sun is in the sky at this moment right now in, in Linwood? Can you guys point to where the sun is in the sky? What time did the sun rise this morning? What, what are the names of the flowers blooming in your front yard and, and the ones that aren't yet? And, and why, why the difference? Right? We, we worry a great deal about what they're doing down at the government school when we ourselves and our children don't know the world right outside of our front door. We don't know about the world in which we live every day. Where is that curiosity? Where is that thirst for knowledge? Right? We, we, we get distracted very easily about what's on the television and by the standards down at the public school, and, and we forget that God made a world that communicates him. In studying it, you're studying him. So what kind of trees are those in your yard? What, what kind of grass grows best in the Pacific Northwest? There are kinds of grass I can't get to grow to save my life. And there is another kind, I got it from my neighbor, and it grows very well. And now I'm very curious as to why. And, and this is what you want. You want a curiosity in the world in which God put them. 
Because then they can go out and they can do anything. Because if they're curious and they know how to satiate that curiosity, they will be able to study anything and do anything. The world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and your children, all of us, should receive it with grateful thanks. But we are an ignorant and shallow-minded people. That's the problem. We don't engage the world around us, let alone stand in awe of its glorious, complex beauty, and through that glorious, complex beauty, praise its maker and sustainer. Are we thwarting our children's natural curiosity about God's world? Come in and sit down and and do these math facts. (laughs) Now, I'm not preaching against math facts. But how often do we cut short, right? We we squash the real curiosity that they have and make make them sit down and do things that's forced upon us from the outside world. I don't know how many times. Stop that. Stop doing that from out there. Come in here now and sit down and do your math facts. What I love about my wife is that she allows that curiosity to run wild. And that is actually one reason I pulled them out of the school they were in, because they had to sit down and do a whole bunch of things that I thought was squelching the natural inclination they had to learn about the world. Now, are you, do you have an insatiable curiosity about the world in which you live? Right? If, if, if students become like their teachers... Are we making decisions based on the word of God? Are we insatiably curious about the world in which we live? Right? Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's a famous quote. And just let it sink in for a moment and see if it describes you. C.S. Lewis wrote about, about this in his famous passage. For every one pupil who needs to be guarded from a weak excess of sensibility, there are three who need to be awakened from the slumber of cold vulgarity. The task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. The right defense against false sentiments is to inculcate just sentiments. By starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandist when he comes. For famished nature will be avenged, and a hard heart is no infallible protection against the soft head. The little human animal will not at first have the right responses. It must be trained to feel pleasure, liking, disgust, and hatred at those things which are pleasant, likable, disgusting, hateful. And all the time, such is the tragi-comedy of our situation. We continue to clamor for those very qualities that we are rendering impossible. You can hardly open a periodical without coming across the statement that what our civilization needs is more drive, more dynamism, more self-sacrifice, or creativity. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect them to be virtuous and enterprising. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and build, bid the geldings to be fruitful. That is from a little book called The Abolition of Man. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Isn't that, what, isn't that the culture we have now? The failure of our culture is a failure of education. It's true. The statists aren't wrong. But <laughs> they want to prop it up and fix it through the wrong kind of education. A result of things that we worship and venerate. 
This is what ails us, the things that we've neglected and forgotten. Virtue, morality, intellectual integrity, true scientific curiosity, love of brother, the worship of God. How can we raise our children in the padea of the Lord when we are not walking in the padea of the Lord ourselves? We are the men without chests. How are they going to be equipped for the tough task of raising our children in the padea of God when they aren't our wives? This is a question about our wives. How are they going to be equipped for the tough task of raising our children in the padea of God when they aren't being nurtured in it? And how can we, when we ourselves have rejected it? Right? How are we expecting our wives to teach it to our children when we're not teaching it to them? Now, we move on to another idea. I think we all at this point realize that everything is about Jesus, right? <laughs> and what we need is an insatiable curiosity about the world in which we live. You arm your child with that and they can learn about anything. And they will. Now, there's another thing that we have to deal with. The, the lie of neutrality. Right? It, 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 it matters who wrote the calculus textbook. It matters who wrote the English textbook. It matters who is standing at the front of the room teaching little Johnny his alphabet. There is no neutrality in education because there is no neutrality in anything. No aspect of human existence allows us to be both the servant of God and the servant of Satan. Jesus said it. You are for me or you are against me. Uh, worse off, he is for you or he is against you. Double-minded, double-tongued men who are tossed about by every wind of an idea are abhorrent to God. John Frame this is what he had to say about neutrality. Christians think differently from non-Christians, and when they don't, they should. In describing the difference between Christians and non-Christian thinking, Van Til argued that the two groups of people hold different presuppositions. A presupposition for Van Til was the most fundamental commitment of the heart, a commitment that governed human life. Some people are committed to Jesus Christ and seek to take every thought captive to him. The rest are committed to something else either another religion, a philosophy, a political movement, or their own reason. There is no neutrality. To paraphrase Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. Our presupposition, always com our presupposition are always commitments that govern our life decisions, indeed all of our thinking. And in the end, there are only two presuppositions, the supremacy of God and the supremacy of something in creation, which scripture calls idolatry. There are not, there's no middle road here. You cannot send your kids off to someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ and think your child is going to be raised a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? And if you go to a school that has five different teachers in middle school, you're learning five different ways to disobey God. <laughs> That's what I found fascinating about my teachers. There's a lot of ways to disobey God. And I learned most of them when I was a young man, because I wasn't raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so by the time I was 23, I had a great deal to learn and unlearn. It doesn't stop. It goes on. Our education goes on and on and on. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. I am the truth. Any subject that begins with something other than Christ and ends in something other than Christ is not, te is not actually teaching your child anything. Right now, okay, now the word of God uh, is sufficient for everything. Is that what you're saying, Mike? 
Can we turn here and show me, please, where it tells me how to do heart surgery? This is, I love this conversation. Dean and I, I love it when we get in this, this talk. It's, it's fascinating. Seriously, where? How, how do I fly an airplane? Sufficient for all things, huh? Well, <laughs> if you go down to Planned Parenthood, there are a great number of people who know a great deal about heart surgery, and they're doing heart surgery on children in the womb. Now, this has a great deal to say about that. Okay? We cannot for a moment think that this tells us everything about everything. That, that's not the point of it. It tells us how to go out and interpret everything, it, how to judge between good and bad, righteousness and unrighteousness. If your child leaves your home and they're 18 and all they know is the scriptures front and back, amen, amen. Because the point is not that they're better off than you. The point is not going to college. The point is going into the world and making decisions that are either godly or ungodly. And so we step back. And so there are different forms of education that are more conducive to this and less conducive. What there isn't is a middle road. The, the world wants us to believe there is a neutral position on things, but there isn't. You're either for Christ or you're not. And, and calculus is math. I don't un really understand even what calculus is because I don't do math. <laughs> but I know this, that who is teaching it to me, what book they're using, what their paradigm is matters when they're teaching me calculus. If I were to learn it now, it's not a neutral subject. Physics is not a neutral subject. Studying the weather, as we have seen, is not a neutral subject because look at the idol they've made out of it. It's a god now. We, we have to sacrifice and we can't have as many kids because our carbon footprint would be too big and we've got to worry about recycling. Don't even get me started about that. Recycling paper is terrible for the environment. I did a project on that in eighth grade. I couldn't believe it. And I've been saying it since 1992, and no one's listened. <laughs> to break the paper down, they have to, the water they use, they can't put back in the water system. They store it like nuclear waste. Most people don't know that. Yeah, because of all the nasty stuff in it, they can't clean it. Anyway, see, I get off on these things. Don't believe everything you see on CNN. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. There is a book I read called The Gospel in the Mind. It, it, it can be tedious in spots, but I did not think like a Christian until I read it. Uh, it was only five years ago. The Gospel in the Mind. This is what it says. Bradley Green is the author. The intellectual life should be a life grounded in the cross that is rooted in and flowing from the gospel. Indeed, if Paul and Augustine are right, that the knowledge of God and ultimately all knowledge, is dependent on the reality of Christ and his cross, then to fail to embrace the centrality of a gospel-centered intellectual life is to attempt brazenly to approach God on our own terms. Biblically and historically, that is not wise, <laughs> to say the least. If, as C.S. Lewis says, with every action or thought we are becoming either more heavenly or more hellish, then we must take seriously the role of the cross for the intellectual life. To become more heavenly creatures and not hellish is to be about the task of embracing the lordship of Christ over the life of the mind in every turn. Borrowing a Reformation slogan, we might say that if the Christian church is semper reformanda, always to be reformed, then the Christian mind is semper campions, always taking captive. I butchered that line, I'm sorry. May we as Christians passionately and truly embrace the cross as we seek to glorify God in all that we do, including our intellectual deliberations. 
Augustine said, I believe so that I know. I believe so that I know. And, and with right, look at the world. What do they believe in? What do they really know? Everything is up for grabs. I don't know if this is a boy or a girl because what I, I don't believe in anything. Right? On the surface of it, I don't believe in anything, and so I can't make a judgment about the simplest things. You want to talk to me about science, and you can't tell the difference between a boy and a girl. Right? <laughs> Basic science. Basic science. There is no neutrality. And so, fathers, the responsibility in raising your children in the day of the Lord, steeped in the word of God, means that there is no neutrality when it comes to the sciences or education. Who is teaching your children What? The who matters as much as the what. I remember this. Uh, when I was teaching, my, my subject, uh, one of them was history. But I wasn't teaching history. Okay, we talked about history. History was the means. But what I was doing is shaping and molding little Jesuses. That was my mission. And okay, we'll do it with medieval history. Whatever. Give me anything. That, that's what I love about teaching. Give me any subject. And the point is making people more godlike. And, and for me, I've, I've made a, a career out of it now <laughs> since I became a Christian. It, that's what, what's at stake. Okay, fine. They can learn f- facts about history. Why is King Alfred the greatest Christian king that ever lived? It's true. Why? It's important that people actually know some of that information. But what's more important is that they learn the difference between what's godly and what's not. Because they're going out into the world and they're engaging culture. And this is the last point of the sermon, I promise. I know. Laura, what time is it? How long has it been? Oh my gosh, I'm getting there. Hold on, let me go. <laughs> the point is not subjects in school. Okay? It's the whole person. Now, I learned this from someone else, and I've done it my whole uh, time as a parent. Okay, do you want to, you, what you want is a child who goes out and engages culture. Right? We're not renouncing the world, and we're not going to bed with the world. Right? In this, there is a middle ground. And the middle ground is engaging it. Not hiding from it, not making a ghetto. I've, I've said a great deal about that. And not getting in bed with the world. And so when you want to educate your kid, think about it in a bigger terms than what they're studying in school. Sit down with your daughter and watch My Little Pony. That's what I want you fathers to do if you have daughters. And ask them this question. Who is the God of this world? Is there sin? How is the sin dealt with? Now, that seems weird, doesn't it? My Little Pony. But what you want at a young age is for them to think biblically about things. Uh, I, there is a show uh, Taylor made for me called Turn. It's about um, espionage during the so, uh, American Revolution. My poor wife, I'm going to tell the story. So in it are these two characters who love one another but are married to other people. Okay? And what they want you to believe, I th- I've, I've told the story before maybe, they, they, want you, they want you to cheer for them to get together. And it's like this subplot that they have. And they work out all these things that get you, by the, by the end of the first season, I was actually rooting for them to get together. And, and, and I'm a man who preaches about faithfulness to your wife. <laughs> right? These shows are not just about entertainment. There's no neutrality. They wanted me to root for them, to be unfaithful to one another. And so I stopped watching the show. Uh, still to this day, <laughs> I'm shocked every time. My son from the back is like, uh, Dad? I, I, think, I think we should turn this song because they're not glorifying God. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I would be embarrassed, except you just did that, and so I'm proud. So fine, I'll turn the song. Right? What you want are kids who engage. 
You want them to engage. You don't want them just to take it in. You want them to actually judge whether it's good and wicked or bad, right? Good, bad, or, or whatever it is. You want them to know. Should I read this book? Should I listen to this song? Is that person a good spouse? <laughs> if they never have to judge anything, if they never have to put that education that you've given them on display at any point in their lives, and then you send them into the world, that is where we all go wrong. We're like, yeah, we're just going to stuff their heads full and then we're going to send them out. But what you want is them to demonstrate the fact that they can think for themselves. They can act for themselves. They can engage for themselves. So sit down and watch My Little Pony. Uh, the pastor that I learned this from used to, with his teenagers in the 90s, sit down and watch MTV with them, right? <laughs> That's, that sounds horrible. But we do this when we watch Star Wars. We're big fans, Right? My, my kids can now explain to you dualism as a religious view because they've learned it from Star Wars. Teach them to engage culture and not simply to get in bed with it and teach them not to reject it, right? What kind of God does Pooh Bear serve? <laughs> right? There are things that just slip under the radar and you never stop and think about them. How many of you have read Pooh Bear? How many of you have kids who have read Pooh Bear? What kind of world is that? Who's the god of Pooh Bear's 100-acre wood? Is he a good god or not? Now, a funny story about that. Actually, um, the author of that didn't realize. He, he played on a, on a cricket team with a bunch of other authors, and they called it... Um, they, they, they didn't know, but they thought they were saying glorify God. It, it was in um, Turkish or something. And, and they chose this phrase that they thought, but it's actually what uh, Islamist people say right before they kill infidels. And, and they, so they played this cricket team, A.A. <laughs> Milne, isn't that, that's ridiculous, isn't it? See what I'm saying? I start talking about these things, I go all over the place. <laughs> he was not thinking through the words that he was using, which is what I want your children to do, which is what I want you to do. All right. You all have a responsibility now to go out and to engage culture, to engage this world, to engage your mind and your heart and your morals and everything that you are in this world under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Husbands, you have a responsibility for your wives. Parents, you have a responsibility for your children. And all of us have a responsibility for one another. There is no neutrality in this world. Now, everything that I've said here... It, 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 it raises a lot of questions about what kind of educational system you're going to use because, again, it's difficult. It's difficult now, right? It, it's, it's less difficult than it used to be, uh, as some of you who were homeschooled in the 80s can, can testify to the fact. It's a lot easier now. Okay, but what I'm not saying now is that always and forever public school is a sin because there are people, even in our own church, who have parenting situations where they don't have sole custody, if I had a single mom there and she needed to work and I needed to counsel her, I would say, let's do it. Let's go public school. And what we're going to do is pray like nobody's business, right, and try to counteract as much as we can. What I want to do here is give you guidelines. The padea of the Lord means more than five subjects that you typically learn about in school. It's the whole person. It, it, it is saturating them in the word of God. It is showing them the centrality of the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area, equipping them to go into the world and actually engage it. When they hear things, when they see things, your children, when they, when they, they, they don't just sit there passively taking in the world. We can't just passively educate them because what we'll get is passive people. 
who go off to college and go into the world and can't discern the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is giving you these children because what he wants is more Christians. Okay? (laughs) It's called Dutch evangelism. I can go and just do sweeping conversions all over the place, or what I can do is equip a bunch of Christian parents with kids that they raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and what I'm talking about is what, I've call, what I call weapons-grade education. It's weapons-grade. The world, if, if, if anyone cared about what I said up here, I could actually get into a little bit of trouble preaching this kind of sermon. The world doesn't like this. The Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area it's weapons grade. It's weapons grade. And that is what we need more than ever so that we don't raise another children who are uh, men and women without chests. And so go, seek, learn, thirst, and teach your children to seek and learn and thirst. And, and do it all to the glory and fame of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the lordship of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that as we go from here, that we would bring uh, increasingly every area of our lives under that lordship, that we would submit more and more of ourselves to you and to your word, that we would love your word, that we would saturate ourselves and our children in it, and that we would delight, delight in this world that you've given us that's full of grace and goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.